The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Derek, Ken, and myself, Mike. And joining us is, uh, works in marketing at EA Games, uh, but also is an author and has two books coming out at the end of this month. Uh, first book is called Star Wars, The Book of Lists. Second book, which is also going to be a favorite of mine and really close to home because it's where I work, um, but not this particular section. It's the official guide to the Disney theme park, Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge, Traveler's Guide to Batu. And the author of these two books, and of course he has done many others, is Cole Horton. How's everyone doing? All right. Hello. We're surviving. <laughs> it's finally getting hot here. I can't take it. It's like 85 degrees. <laughs> doing got, good here in California. We got whole, uh, San Francisco. We got rain and rain and more rain coming. Well, you got a, um, you're getting the edge of a tropical storm, aren't you? Yeah, the outer edge of it. Yeah, outer edges. Uh, I mean, it's going to push rain our way and some heavy, heavy rain, whatnot. Um, which Cole mentioned before show, he's going to be moving over to the east coast to the better Batu. I would say. <laughs> um, I know it's all matter of opinion or. Um, we, we've had some people say they like West Coast better than East Coast, East Coast better than West Coast after having visited both. Um, I guess it's just a style preference. Um, but, hey, look what you got to look forward to, hurricanes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm no stranger to them. Uh, my wife and I would love coming down to Walt Disney World, and we would do Disney cruises. And we've, we've run into a, a couple of hurricanes in our time, even just vacationing. So <laughs> we know what we're in for. And, you know, personally, I have to say I love – I love both of the parks, and I love all the Batus. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, one of the first things I did when I started working on this book was trying to figure out how different they might be or not be, because, you know, I would have to account for that when I was right. writing that book. And I realized they're actually incredibly similar. You know, all, all but the most hardcore fans might not really know the differences, especially when it comes to, like, so the layout and the structures and what you can do there are right. almost entirely the same. So, um, 
you know, just get to Batu however you can when uh, when we kind of get back to uh, normal here. Yeah, I know. I do know one of the differences is the uh, artifacts outside of Doc Ondar's. Uh, there's um, in California, they've got part of was it part of the uh, one of the like the the bottom feet from one of the uh, the Egyptian gods from Great Movie Ride out there, sure. which which I found odd. That was in our park, and we don't have it here. It's like, why can't you throw a nod back to an attraction that is gone here? I think some well. stuff made its way across. I don't know if you at some point saw when the Ark of the Covenant might have been hiding yes. in Doc Ondar's, uh, and that would have come out of the Great Movie Ride as well. Um, so, you know, they... Surprises for everybody, I guess, no matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, But other than that, uh, if you take, correct me if I'm wrong, if you take the two um, maps of the two parks, just the Galaxy's Edge section, and overlap them, they're this, they're the exact same footprint. Yeah, they're they're incredibly similar. There's there's a you know difference in the number of entrances. You know, on the the, at Disneyland, you're going to get three entrances versus two to come in. But yeah, the the buildings, I was. I mean, as a writer who has to write one book, right? Because there isn't there aren't two by twos in the universe. There's just this one place. Right. Um, you know, had they been wildly different, that would be really hard to reconcile. But they're not. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I did. I, I got Photoshop out. <laughs> and I, I, you know, threw some layers down and just made sure that they were largely the same. So, yeah, most people would probably never know. The, the third entrance that's used in California... That's the big gates over by the First Order. I want to say, speculating, only because of where the the Star Wars Hotel is here, that that's probably going to be the entrance used for the hotel, the guests for the hotel. So it'll be a it'll be a limited thing. But I mean, it's it's cool that they're exactly the same. I know our walkways are a little bit wider in California. Uh, There's a little more spacing as you get out into like the forest section. Yeah. Um, and maybe just a little bit more room on the outskirts because uh, Walt Disney World in Florida has more room to work with in general, right? That site is so right. much bigger than Disneyland Resort. Um, so, yeah, that's really where the differences lie. It's just some, like, spacing, you know, maybe more shrubs. Uh, in your opinion, how do you like it? Do you like having the X-Wing and the A-Wing next to each other? I want to say they have two A-Wings out in California, correct? I think it's just the one. Is it just the one? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I think when you're there, these differences really kind of melt away. You know, like, you're just so happy you're seeing the next one. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're just so happy there is a life-size A-Wing, and you, you kind of can't believe it, you know, that, that that can be there. And then, of course, you get to the Falcon, and you just lose your mind. Um, yes, Because, you do. like, the X-Wing and the A-Wing, they're big, you know? And, like, the sense of scale in, that, in the place in general was probably, like, the biggest surprise to me because I wrote almost all of this book without ever stepping foot there. Um, the park wasn't open yet. And so, you know, you, you read all the background material, you read all the, the, the source material and you kind of envision it in your head. And I had all sorts of resources to kind of help me navigate that, that space. But when you get there, I don't know, like I envisioned it in my mind as a planet. Yet when I got there in real life, it was somehow bigger than that. Um, and the scale of the Falcon was, was just mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen X-Wings before, um, especially at Star Wars conventions um, with people there. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is impressive. Seeing, the, seeing a full-size A-Wing 
didn't surprise me. Um, walking up, we went the back way down by the garage and seeing the land speeder, which awesome. Uh, obviously, it's a, a clone with a different paint job of Luke's, which, of course, I've seen one of those at Celebration as well, at a Celebration. But like you said, you come up the steps, look over the crest of the steps, and you see the Falcon. Yeah. Oh. It's so big. It's still breathtaking. And it's so detailed. And and it's just perfectly arranged, right? And I, I guess that's what Disney has always done so well with yeah. the sight lines, right? And helping steer your eyes and really all of your senses towards what sort of the grand reveal is. But I don't know. Like, and I, I knew it was coming, right? Like, I wrote a book about it. And, and they were actually able to provide me, uh, if you remember the giant scale model that they had yep. on display at D23 Expo, yep. um, they actually had some really cool uh, photography they were able to do, sort of like ground level photography inside oh. that model. And so I could kind of map out the flow of like what you might see on your left and right and where you might go next and sort of how people might move through that space. So again, I knew everything. I had been spoiled about all of it and it didn't matter. Like it, the Falcon was still so impressive. And yeah, I mean, we are kind of the, the, the crazy fans, right? Like we're, we're the hyper engaged fans that have been to celebration. We've seen some stuff, um, but I don't know. Somehow they managed to even impress people like us. Yeah. Oh, that, that wasn't hard for them. Even me being a cast member, it was not hard to impress me. Um, literally seeing the Falcon, um, my wife's got pictures that we posted on, on Facebook. We're walking up the steps and she saw it before I did because she got ahead of me. Um, and she, as soon as she saw it, she turned back and captured the moments of when I saw it. And she goes, you were in a loop. And it was a, and this is one of those times I did let you stay in that loop because I understood. And my loop was, it's real. Oh, my God. It's real. It's right there. It's real. Do you see it? It's real. She goes, you're in a loop. It's okay. And, and I was in tears. Um, and even taking my daughter uh, the second time I've been uh, after they lifted the cast blackouts briefly before Rise of Resistance, we took my daughter uh, the weekend before her birthday. And she was okay with as crowded as it was that day. She was okay until she saw the Falcon. And then she got so overwhelmed and oversensitized. It's like, I, I just want to build my droid and I want to go. Like, All right. So, um, so I knew it hit her the same way. Um, but now one of my goals is I heard there's a little Easter egg on the Falcon where someone has taken one of the old diecast Falcons. And it's built in, sort of like in in the movie, there's the Batman tumbler underneath. Sure, yeah. There's a toy falcon on there as well. Oh, there you go. And, and now that's one of my goals is to find it. Find the hidden falcon on the falcon. Yeah. I mean, just the layers of detail and secrets and Easter eggs that are hidden. Well, the stuff you can hide in a place that big. Yeah. Um, I suspect we're all going to be finding things in Galaxy's Edge for years to come. Um and it's, you know, it's a living place, right? So more can come. Things can come and go. Things can sort of change. What? Yeah, they're probably going to continue to hide things there as time goes by. Yeah, like every visit you're just going to be, you know, surprised again. Yeah. What What were some of your, I'll say, top five Easter eggs from the land that you point out in the book? Your, um, your, your top favorite, top, your top five favorites. Yeah, let's see here. Um, I mean, Doc Ondar's a lot, right? So the Din of Antiquities where, um, you know, that, that character who's a collector is selling things. 
um, in there, it's sort of never ending. Yeah. Um, you know, at least for a time, the Ark of the Covenant was there. Uh, at one point, I think I, I had way too much text in the book about it. And the feedback I got back from Story Group was, hey, let an Easter egg be an Easter egg. You know, but I just got so excited about that as an indie fan. Um, so that was one I, I definitely had in there. Um, there's some little things too. So I don't know if you read, you know, the the Thrawn novel that in part takes place on Batu. Um, yeah. There are some story beats there, right? That I knew I would need to account for. So there's a gunfight at one point, and those blaster marks are still on the wall of the cantina. Now that story happened decades before uh, guests are sort of arriving at the two, but they're still there. Um, and even in that, I knew I had to account for some other things. Like in that novel, they talk about like Padme lands outside of town at some airfields. And so like, I wanted to make sure those were accounted for. Now you, you can't see those when right. you go visit the, the actual land, but um, knowing that they're there. The other thing was the book mentioned a police force. And if you go into the land, there's no police force. Um, there isn't a Batu police force. So we we're able to kind of like make a backstory as to like they, those kind of went away um, and why they, they went away and who's in charge now that uh, a more official police force isn't there. And instead, um, you know, more of the underworld is sort of running things with Oga. So little things like that, because I, I wanted to make sure the other stories and those sort of Easter eggs were told because you would just miss them. You know, like blaster marks on a wall. If you didn't know to look for them, you wouldn't know, like, oh, that was from a gunfight with, you know, Thrawn uh, decades before. Right. See, I, I didn't know the blast, there were blast marks. Yeah. Now, next time I go into Ogas, I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah. There's some other stuff, too. Um, there's a railing outside of Ogas that is uh, sort of busted. It's broken. And there's a whole story as to why that's broken. And let's just say Oga has had some uh, boy troubles. Um, and, and, mm. you know, took out her anger the way she knows how, which is with a blaster. So there's some stuff like that. I, it, honestly, like the, the Easter eggs when done right are usually very story driven and they're very right. character. And what I, I think a lot of guests might not realize if they were, you know, maybe just going there for the first time or you know, maybe more casual fans is that every shop, every kind of place has a proprietor, they have an owner, they have a character, they have somebody who's supposed to be there. And you may not see them on your visit. They may not, you know, be there working the store at that moment. But there's a whole backstory to every one of those. Right. Um, you mentioned the garage. Um, there is a character who runs that garage. And you get to read about her in the Traveler's Guide. Um, and she has this whole history. She has this connected backstory with some of the other characters, talk about how she would interact with a lot of those characters. Um and, you know, like you, I, I would have just rolled up and thought, oh, that's cool. That's kind of like Luke's land speeder. And it is cool. Yeah. Uh, not realizing that, oh, that land speeder is being maintained at this shop. Like, this is the best place to get gas in, in Black Spire, right? And it's run by this character and why is she there? You know, what are her motivations and stuff like that? So the book goes into all of that so that those little hints that are there uh, make sense. Like, why is the garage so messy? Well, that's kind of part of that character. Now, how much of your book did you have to um, cross-reference with the the Marvel Comics, the five-issue mini? Because I know for me, when I read 
the five-issue mini, first issue right off the bat, it's Han and Chewie going to get a baby Sarlacc. Now, the canister or the containment unit that the baby Sarlacc's in, at least in Florida, does not look like what it does in the comic. But I, I was all prepared to go, if I love this, if there's not a baby Sarlacc <laughs> in the den of antiquities... I'm going to be raising the stink and I'll be going, well, where's the Sarlacc? Doc told me he had a Sarlacc possibly for sale. Where is it? I want to see it before I was ready to do the whole storyline. I walk in and there it is. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that's not an accident. So whether we were working together or not, we were all working off the same material. So everyone had this massive sort of background document that Imagineering had put together with Lucasfilm. And, you know, they had been working on this for years by the time any, any of us would have come around to it to write any of the tie-in stuff. Um, and so, yeah, all of that was laid out. All, all the creatures in that room or all the creatures at the creature stall um, were called out. And, in fact, there are some that, like, unless you know to look for them, you might not realize that's what they are. Right. Um, right. And so, yeah, we were all kind of working from the same stuff and explaining the same things um, as much as we could. Um I had, you know, I'm kind of working in parallel in a lot of cases. I know like, I got to catch up with Delilah Dawson, who wrote um, uh-huh. the novel with Delray. Um, and she was still, you know, turning in manuscripts while we were at Star Wars Celebration. But we were at a publishing party. And, like, while everyone else is enjoying their, their industry party, we're, like, hiding in the corner, exchanging, you know, story tidbits and, and talking about, like, what she's going to do and what, what I might do and that sort of thing. We're, like, the only people in the room who even know any of this right um so you know you try to weave it in as much as you can but the way that you know the disney imagineering team the lucasfilm team made sure everything was coherent from the start uh, whether we knew it or not we were all kind of telling the same story very cool well, I have a little addendum you can add to the book next uh-huh. for the variation. Um, my wife's uncle made my daughter a couple data cards similar to what Ray uses in Rogue One. We gave one to V, and she told her it was it, it contained the plans to Kylo Ren's secret base on on the other side of the Black Spires. Oh, oh. and now so here's the thing: so trying to capture these characters in the book is one thing, but for those. Um, performers in the parks to be able to like adapt to that it's just like i could never do that when, look I, when i get to write and tell a story like i got time i get to sit and think about it um watching them improvise yeah their reactions to this it, it, i just can't even understand how someone could be talented enough to do that because i i can't um it's amazing right and they get that yep. not just not just with your daughter right but they get people coming up to them and recognizing them Every day, multiple times a day. Right. And they're so great about adapting to that. And, and again, we're all working off the same backstory, right? So, like, she's playing off. Um, there's this sort of understanding of what all the characters know or don't know. Um, I actually wanted to preserve a bit of that because you don't want to give it all away. Right. right. Like, you don't, like, and the book is written by an in-universe author, and that author can't be sort of omnipotent, right? They can't understand or know every single thing. And so I actually sort of placed a lot of what I was doing about a, about a week or two before the events that are happening in the park. So, you know, what background we provide, those character stories will have marched forward just a little bit. And so, uh, you know, like, like, you know, that character is going to be 
um, now more entrenched, right? She's been there right. a little bit longer. She's had more run-ins with the First Order. Um, and at that point, she and her resistance friends are, of course, looking for help. Um, now, you know, we know as guests that's so that we can go ride Rise of Resistance, right? Um, but in my book, I wanted to make sure that we kept all the spoilers safe. No, and that's a big thing for a lot of people, right? right. They, when they go on these attractions, right. they don't want to be spoiled. And that's the last thing I want to do is tell you beat for beat everything that happens on Smuggler's Run at Rise of Resistance. So instead, what I do is like talk about what what would a character who's not part of the resistance, who's just a traveler on that world, know? Right? You know he might know that there's some funny stuff going on out there. Um, and he might know some things about the First Order or the resistance that would be interesting. That will, of course, help you as you run into things. He might have seen a strange uh, inter-system transport ship uh, coming and going or something like that, right? Be able to provide you some details and specs on that. Uh, but not give away what is really your story. Right. Um, when you when you get on those attractions, that's you. Uh, so See, it, was, I, it was interesting to kind of find the, the space what, in between. What I have fun with is you know, everyone knows Ray. They know the, the troopers and, and Kylo and Chewie. It's the interaction with V that no one really knows when they get It's like, oh, it's a new character, but don't know. Hey, can I have my picture with you, this, that, and the other? And then when the troopers come around, it's like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, not realizing immediately she's hiding from the troopers. Yeah, when, yeah. when I met her, when, when my wife and I met her at Cash Previews, I was like, hi, I, I'm a smuggler, but I'm, I help the resistance. Well, she goes, and I have um, my Star Wars backpack, which has got the Rebel logo on it. She goes, but you got the similar, I'm like, I picked it up at the Battle of Endor because it, it was the Heroes and Villains Indoor Commando backpack. So I had the whole backstory on how I got it. Um, I was there, saw it on the ground, picked it up, and decided to start using it as a personal bag. Oh, okay. And we're talking, can I get my, uh, may I get a, an image scan with you? Sure. As soon as we started pose, all of a sudden she's ducking behind me. I'm like, oh, yeah. I looked around, <laughs> and like, here's two troopers coming. I'm like, just stay behind me. I got your back. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that, and, like, that, art, that role playing, right? Like, they will do that with you. Um, I'll tell you, for the book, I actually had two big influences. Uh, one was Rick Steves. I don't know if you follow Rick Steves. He's a travel writer, does a bunch of public television. And the other was RPG books. Because I knew that like there are going to be people who want to, before they go, have that backstory. Like You had your backpack. You knew who you were in that galaxy. When you got there, you were, you were a smuggler, right? Um, and arm people with the information to do that. Like Who could you be? And what are you bringing? Actually, there is a page about luggage on purpose because it's like, here's what to bring and what not to bring. And maybe there's an in-universe reason why you shouldn't bring a blaster. Now, we know the real world reason why, you know, you shouldn't bring a, a replica blaster. But why, I can provide you an in-universe reason why blasters are a bad idea. Um, and then help you figure out, like, where are you from? What's your occupation? Uh, what race are you? Uh, everything. Right, just like those old RPG books would do. Because when I was a kid, I would read those West End RPG books. I didn't mm-hmm. play. Oh but, yeah, right. You just wanted to like pour through them. And yeah. and First, the galaxy guides. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. right. If you think about it, they're not exactly like exciting reading, you know. But when you are trying to put yourself in that universe, that toolbox can't be beat. And so, uh, a large chunk of the book is is a lot of that sort of stuff. To kind of help you uh, figure out who you are. 
Well, I was also wearing my Wookiee Radio polo shirt, and they go, what's Wookiee Radio? I said, it, it's a show on the holonets. We we piggyback <laughs> off the, the First Order carrier waves. Oh, and we were close to Oga's when I said this to them. They go, be careful. Oga sides with the First Order. She She's a First Order sympathizer. It's like, all right, cool. Um, I said, but yeah, we have a show. And then the cast member, as we walked away, a cast member broke, broke character. She goes, I can't wait to listen to your show. It sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, going in, having the character, um, and, and I have taken the, before we started doing this show and we called ourselves the Smugglers 3, I'm like, yeah, I'm a member of the Jedi Assembly or reserve member. I'm a reserve member in um, the Rebel Legion uh, with a Jedi costume. But now with um, Galaxy's Edge, it's like I could build, I could, I could get costume parts from there and build my own smuggler scoundrel character and, and, and continue our persona of smugglers three into a a cosplay world even um and i have, have definitely embraced the the scoundrel uh smuggler persona that to the point of that's the reputation i want to build on my play disney app which people don't realize you have a data pad and there's all these games and you can earn different reputation points towards certain things. And yeah. and once everything's fully active, you go to check out, people are going to know this. Oh, you, you kind of wrecked the Falcon. Honda's still pissed at you type thing. Um, so I know I have hogged the spotlight on most of this book so far. Ken, Derek, <laughs> you guys got questions? Since you guys haven't been there, and this is the, the book to really help you guys experience it until you get there. Yeah, um, I was just letting you go, Mike, because like I said, you've been there. You know what? You know all about it. So you can guys can go back and forth nice and easy on it. But um, well, let's switch gears for a minute and go to this book of lists. Now, what's yeah. that behind the book of lists? So the book of lists is it's huge. It's I think two hundred and twenty-two pages. Um, and it is a hundred individual lists covering almost every possible topic I could think of. Um, so, you know, for example, I think the first list in there is like all of Luke Skywalker's most heroic moments, right? And if you were new to Star Wars or um, you know wanted to brush up, you can get in there and get those major beats. There's lots of lists like that. But then we start covering some much more quirky stuff. Um, you know, there's a whole a whole list about the best facial hair. For example, we have um, every time the uh, Wilhelm scream was used as a sound effect, right? that sort of iconic scream that pops up over and over over the years. Yep. Um, yep. Even even really obscure things like all the characters that Warwick Davis played, whose names begin with W. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and there's there's a lot of them. Um, and so with 100 different lists, like we, we cover a lot of ground. Is there a list to cover? Probably one of the most infamous quotes. I have a really bad feeling about this. There is, yes. <laughs> so we've got, uh, I have a bad feeling mm -hmm. about this. We've got all the lost limbs, which might have been the one that was we had mm. to fight for the most. Um, there, there was a point in, in the development where I had already written it, and I had figured out every time somebody lost a limb, it's a lot. Some are a little bit gruesome, right? Like Ponda Baba and, and a, a New Hope. Uh, that arm's a little bloody, uh, and we had pictures of all these lost limbs. Um, and we got some notes like, hey, is this maybe a little too much? And I said, no, it's in the movie. I, I, I wanted to fight for that one. Uh, you know, it's, it's there. If it's if it's appropriate for the films, I, I think it's appropriate for the book. Um, 
And if we think about something that happens basically every movie, losing a limb is pretty darn important. Um, yep. so I don't know that I could have a list without it. So it's in there. Sweet. Well, then my question is, um, how did you come up with the li- the particular lists and how how difficult was it to to then fill in each list? Yeah, so coming up with them was just a little bit of brainstorming. It happened actually over like two separate periods of time that were kind of spread out. We had kicked the project off and maybe a couple of years ago now. And it kind of got put on the back burner in the publishing schedule. It just wasn't the right time and the right publishing. Anything. So it, it kind of got set aside. Um, and so at that time, we had 100, though. And then we came back to it with fresh eyes. And, of course, by then, uh, Last Jedi had come out, Solo had come out, and we were on the eve of Rise of Skywalker. And so I went back, reworked it, and that was pretty quick. You know, I think most of them remained the same because Star Wars is... Star Wars rhymes, right? Like it, it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, but we changed a few things up because, you know, some lists that might not have been very long before, you know, a couple of events might have happened in those new films, all of a sudden those lists were more appropriate. Uh, and put those together. Um, the hardest part was then, yeah, the filling them in. Because we had the high level, like here's the list of 100 in the titles. But the actual list was hard because um, I provided the outline of the, the original, and we had lots of time to go back and forth on that, and then the request came through, please provide all the bullet points on each list. Now, normally an outline like that, is, that's a very reasonable request and something we would, of course, do. But in a book of lists, that's practically the whole book. And I had like six or seven days to come up with every item underneath <laughs> those hundred. And wow, that's the time where you're like, yeah, this is why I write Star Wars books and basically only write Star Wars books because you have to know it and you have to know it fast. And there isn't time to go back and, and research, you know, if you weren't in it every single day. Um, and yeah, that so the turnaround on that was quick. There's a little bit of back and forth, and I'll tell you because when I was writing this, um, Rise of Skywalker hadn't come out yet, and um, what I would have to do is I'd write all the bullets, and then at the end I'd put Episode Nine question mark, and then I would get a note back from <laughs> from Story Group, and it would say something like Indeed, and that was kind of all I would get. So so like you know there was um <laughs> there was a spread about um I'm trying to think. If, like scavengers and i put episode nine and got the indeed back not knowing oh that's that's Jana, right like that's her tribe um who are that kind of fit that bill um so i relied heavily on the editors at lucasfilm and and the members of the story group to help fill in those gaps until we can get there in some cases just the way the publishing schedule lines up we, we do rely on them to actually to fill in those gaps um and they'll provide the text or something um, until the last minute, we have you know, placeholder images and stuff like that, just because it's all so so secret. Um, and book book timelines are often very long, <laughs> so we're we're always in this race for how much stuff can we include, um, and you know, without leaking anything. Or sometimes it's just not done, right? Like the the film isn't made yet, so um, right. we don't we don't want to put something in there. Um, that you know isn't going to make it or is going to change in the final cut of the film. 
I'm always worried about the Constable Zuvio problem, right? Would I write a whole list about Constable <laughs> Zuvio only to find out he's not in the movie? You know, I was thinking for, for folks at Hasbro, right? They, all those figures. Yeah. yeah. You know, Rogue One trailers. Right. Yeah, you just never know. And that's, you know, that's just the way that films are made, you know? And it's, it's kind of like I'm dealing with the way the books are made. They're dealing with the way the films are made. Um, yeah, that's just how it goes. So. We do our best. Cool. Yeah, times there's it's last minute changes. So yeah, yeah, they you know that happens to all of us, and you know we kind of scramble or get it in there. I was pleasantly surprised that um, you know the, the child makes an appearance. Um, you know Ooh. that was uh-huh. incredibly secret, and uh, for for all the right reasons, and uh, and very recent, right? So um, right, they, they did great, and that that's why you have so many people involved, and. Um, and that's sort of the benefits and the dangers, I guess, of working in <laughs> this like shared little sandbox together is we're all just working in parallel, right? And you're just hoping something that somebody else does doesn't spin off and kind of knock you off your track. And, and it really yeah, is you know, how right. they straight, you know, like I'm just trying to keep straight what I'm doing at that moment, um, more or less keep all the pieces. So were there, did they, um, were there any lists that they, that they said you couldn't do or? Were they pretty open with it? I'm trying to think. I very rarely get told no. I think that may surprise people. Um, I don't know. Maybe I've been around enough to know kind of what's off limits or not. Like, let's be honest. So I put in there like a list about Yoda's race. Guess what? We're not going to get <laughs> right. That's not a thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not going to get to do that. So I don't short list. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, we're not going to I'm not going to like poke the bear too much on stuff that I just know is off limits. Right. Um, yeah. Or that we just don't know the answer to, right? And and in a book, in most books, your job is not to just start wildly inventing things that somebody else is going to have to like deal with later on. That's the last thing they want is, you know, <laughs> some silly thing I came up with in five minutes. You know, they're not they're not going to want to follow that. So, um, I'm trying to think. In Book of List, I, I think they were pretty darn open. I mean, they if anything, they just had a lot of good suggestions for like stuff that I missed or stuff that they wanted to make sure was especially highlighted. Um, my first draft, I kind of had everybody in there once, but didn't have a lot of overlap. So like if there was a, a list about Princess Leia, which there is, I didn't necessarily have every time Princess Leia had done something there on out. You know, I kind of like, but they were no, this should be pretty exhaustive. Um, and, and their feedback was, look, each list should sort of stand on its own. And um, and make sure that stuff is in there, which was the right choice. Um, right. You know, especially for somebody who's new. You know, we if if you know, you've been doing this for years, and you're you're kind of trivia buff already. Yeah, you can connect those dots. But we want to make sure that you know, this very well could be somebody's first Star Wars book. Um, any any book, anything could be somebody's first Star Wars thing. But Book of List in particular is. Uh, among the best that I've written for that type of person. Yeah, actually, that would be a really good one, yeah. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, what was the hardest list to come up with for the book? You know, I I guess hard for me is basically anything I have to look up at all. Because at this point, a lot of stuff I can... I can almost write without really referencing anything. It, it's all up there somewhere. And, um, and any time that I really have to dig into the research, it's probably the hardest. Oh, 
uh, sets. We have a we have a list about the biggest shooting spaces, like the filming sets. And mm. there's a lot of information about there if you've read any of like Jonathan Rinsler's books about the making of. Um, even going back before that, there were a lot of great behind the scenes books. Um, we don't necessarily have that much behind the scenes information for the more recent films. You know? and that stuff tends to come later anyway, right? We didn't get we didn't get Rinsler's books about the making of until you know, decades later. Um, right. So we don't have that. And and without that, it was hard to know. Like, I don't know the, the set size for a lot of these places. Um, so there, that was a lot of new research for me, trying to track down, like, at any point did they ever say which specific set they shot at? And then get on, like, the website, you know, for film producers to try to figure out what's the square footage of that space. <laughs> it is actually large. Um, and, and there were some new ones there, like Kajimi um, in The Rise of Skywalker is a really special set. Like, it is a full 360 immersive set. Uh, kind of really one of a kind in Star Wars. Um, hmm. so like that made it in there. Um, and so that's all new to me. Like, I, I wasn't there. I, I don't know. So that one was, was particularly tough. Um, I'll tell you one that was hard just because like you had to make tough choices. Um, so a lot of the book is focused on the films. Right? That is for almost everybody, their starting point. That's where you know, so much of the, the kind of the critical lore lies. And so that's where he focused a lot. But I wanted to have at least one list that was about stories that aren't the films. And, um, you know, think about the Clone Wars and Rebels uh, and Resistance and every comic book and every game, which is near and dear to my heart, um, every novel. How do you pick? Right? And the list can only be so long because they have um, text that accompany them. It's not just you know, a series of words. Plus, you've got to put images in there. And so before you know it, like, I found myself having to kind of choose between all my favorite children and, like, who's not going to make the cut, you know? And I'll admit I'm, I'm a little bit biased, right? Like, look, I, I look on video games. And so, yeah, Cal Kestis is going to make the list from Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, yeah. But, you know, and then you've got some other critical ones. Like, you have to put Ahsoka, right? Like, Ahsoka is so, so important in, in multiple right. forms of storytelling. Thrawn needs to make it in there. Um, so yeah, that list was tough because, you know, you want to have a little bit of everything. Um, and, and what I, it ultimately came down to kind of a tiebreaker for me, wasn't just like their critical importance in a story. It was often how much they've shown up. So I believe Hondo's in there because um, <laughs> Hondo, Hondo was important in the Clone Wars and in Rebels. He's important if you go visit Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. And he may not be the biggest like A-list star in all of Star Wars. But he, he sure touches a lot of things, so you want to make sure he's in there. Oh, if you ask him, he's the biggest, most important A-list star in the galaxy. <laughs> Isn't he, though? And it's all of course, sure. people. Yeah, all yep. on the up and up. Yeah. Uh, here's a hard question for you. Do you have a favorite list, personally? I have a favorite list. Um, one that, once I saw the actual like book and got to go through it, I, I'm, I actually spent time reading it. And it's rare that I kind of, like, read something i wrote i don't know if you guys listen to your own podcast or i hate listening to myself and i, it, I it's hard for, yeah. it's hard for me to listen to our own yeah. show there were kind of few books i've done that suck me in as a fan um and the one list that i like sat and like broke down um was the scrolls so i wanted to have on one page or on one spread two pages um every opening scroll from the saga films and you can start to see, like, oh, these are the words that they 
they did in all caps. You know, there's always a few kind of highlight words. And oh yeah, they do have the, the four ellipses at the end. You know, and just to kind of read them all in one place because when you watch the film, we've been watching these films for forty something years, and but you get one scroll at a time, and then you watch two and a half hours of film, and then you get maybe get the next scroll. And that's if you watched it back to back. So having them in one place right. is I don't like unexpectedly cool for me. Um, and you know, I thought it was a neat idea when I put it in, and then I saw it in the book. Yeah, this worked. I, I like this a lot. <laughs> well, for those who don't know. Remember the scrolls? Just fly out to L.A., look up at the night sky. You can see them perfectly now since the smog is gone. Yeah, I think that's how it works. If you can't make to L.A., though, buy the... Yeah. Well, staying on this vein of um, what you liked and stuff, what was kind of... Was there a really big surprise while you were doing this that you weren't expecting to get out of when you were... I mean, you said you don't have to do a whole lot of research, but what was the biggest surprise when you are doing this, maybe? Something that came out of nowhere on you? Um... Biggest surprise, man. I'm trying to think. Um, Is there any good surprise? Any good surprises for you? I don't. Um, was one longer than you expected, or shorter than you expected? I'll tell you. Yeah. So we had just one. It, it seemed like very simple when we put it in the outline form. Because you know, you just you know, a couple sentences. I know that'll be easy. Um, about the Jedi Knights of Note, and you're thinking, like, okay, who are the important Jedi Knights that people should know? And where do you draw that line? And what I realized was, like, if you if you just said, like, okay, we should include everybody that was on the council, um, because some of the other Jedi have been covered in other places. So these are you're just kind of trying to recap everybody else. And you know, oh, shoot, there's a lot of them. Um, and then you start debating with yourself, like, are they of note? Like, it really, really is Ethcoff of note. Like, if somebody is new to this, do they really need to know kind of, kind of who he is? And, um and that one became kind of hard, like, where do I draw the line? Um, and and then it became difficult because you had to uh, – so every every entry is accompanied by a little parenthetical thing that just lists um, where, like, which films um, that character or thing was seen. So, like, it's fairly easy in, like, for Qui-Gon Jinn because he was seen in The Phantom Menace, done and done. Um but then you start getting on some of these Jedi Council members, and you're like, oh, shoot, what were they actually in that movie or not? <laughs> right? And I did have to go back and be like, okay, Ayla Sakura, I know she was in Revenge of the Sith. Got that. Was she in Attack the Clones? Um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, that, yeah, because the prequels, the Jedi Council's different in each of the three movies. That's right. They, they change it up right. a lot. And, yeah. you know, and there's some, like uh, – some sort of lookalikes on there, like some some characters who aren't quite the same character. Technically, they're not the same character, but they sure look a lot alike. Um, so there's some weirdness going on there that you have to account for. So yeah, that one that one threw me a little bit. Um, and kind of like scrolling through. The, you should see this book; it's beautiful every time. According to uh, Steve with um, Quattro Books, B and M, my copy should be coming. Soon it was. He said it was shipped, so I can't wait to to see this and do the review for it. I'm excited. Well, I think you're gonna like it. Um, another hard one that threw me was there's one about all the major languages of the galaxy, and coming up with a list of languages was incredibly easy. Coming up with every or attempting to, I'm sure I got this wrong, and somebody is gonna correct me. I apologize to Wikipedia uh, in advance for my errors. Um, but what films did each of the languages show up in? 
right? And you're like, okay, uh, I'm pretty sure astromech binary was in every film, but you know, you gotta like think about it, right? Like, okay, was was Hutchies in every film? Was uh, oh, oh was wow, Jawa? Okay, so because there were some random Jawas in Return of the Jedi, did they ever squawk or squeak or anything? <laughs> like, uh, and you, you you're just trying to get that right, um, so. Anyway, that that one was tough. I I honestly think I would have picked a different spread had I known how tough it would have been. I would have I would have posed <laughs> a different list entirely. Uh, I thought it would be easy. Now, when you were working on the languages, did you happen to go back and reference uh, Ben Burtt's uh, book of Lang- uh, Star Wars languages? I can't remember the, the title of. Yeah, his is I kind know, of a traveler's guide as yeah, well. Um, uh, on this one. I know no. Derek has it. I have it. Uh, because yeah. of Derek, I have it. <laughs> it's a fun little book. I, I do try to be careful about using um, source material or reference books pre-2014. Um, yeah, because they can sometimes be kind of uh, chock full of Legends material, and, and I, I tend to avoid a lot of that, just you know, try not to confuse right, Yeah. I will say this. One thing I've learned, because I, I started writing, you know, I've done 12 or 13 Star Wars books now, starting in 2015 and you know occasionally it seems like some authors just want to like cram in every legends reference they can as if like they just want to bring that across the line and you know like that's going to make it canon it doesn't really work that way Mm. and that's not really my job like my job isn't to try to like bore you with thousands of obscure references to some novel i might have personally really enjoyed a lot there really needs to be a story reason for it. There, there, you know, and you have to say, like, does this work at the same altitude? You know, like on a spread where I'm like, yeah, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and George Cabal. Well, no, he's probably not important. You know, like, I, I don't need some, some character from 1991. So, um, you got to be careful about that. And that's just, you know, really more of my personal approach. You no know, mandate or anything, but that's just how I... I've approached it. Were you able to yeah, slip? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, were you able to slip any references to droids and Ewoks into there? <laughs> droids and Ewoks. Um, <laughs> now, now you're really digging deep. I'm trying to think. Um, Ewoks. You can do like names of Ewoks or something. You slip in a couple of them from that or something. But okay, I don't know that I have any droids and Ewoks in here. Um, outside of like things that cross over, like, like Wicked. Yeah, and he's in all of it. Um, I can say, you guys know what Wisties are? Yes. From, uh, yes. from the old Ewok Adventures films? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they, yes, they make a, a reappearance in Battlefront 2, and uh, I do have an upcoming book later this year that is going to take some very valuable real estate and use it on Wisties, just purely out of my own personal whimsy. So anyway, I'm breaking my own <laughs> rules, I guess. But they were in Battlefront 2, so... Uh, I have I have some reason to do it. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's at least been used in modern sources. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, we all have our soft spots, right? The, the things that we we sort of loved and um, want to see live on. So now, now that the the book is done, uh, um, are you done with lists, or do you still come up with ideas that you'd love to do, maybe in a sequel? Um, for now, I think I'm done with Star Wars list. Um, if they would ever let, uh, so I, I have I've done a Marvel book. I've written for Marvel.com. Um, mm. You know, let's just say I've written the Star Wars book of lists, and I've also written some Marvel things. Um, and if they would ever 
like to talk to me about either of those sorts of things again, I'd be happy to have that conversation. Well, um, the Marvel stuff that, may have to bring deep. you may have to bring you on to my my Marvel show called Mighty Marvel Geeks, where we could just go, go. Oh, we could go into it here too if if they're Star Wars related. And unfortunately, no. This is just my like sitting around thinking, like, man, wouldn't that be cool? Because you know those are both big universes, and I, I think they lend themselves in the same way of like, hey, if you're you know, whether you're a longtime Marvel fan or a new new Marvel fan, the thing a list would be kind of interesting. So, I don't know. We'll see if I ever get that call. Uh, that I'll be the last person to hear about it. But, uh, that, yeah, that's that's always been kind of in the back of my mind. And occasionally I'll jot down something like that. Um, but no, I mean, the, the weird thing about this is, you know, one day you get a you get a call or an email and they say, hey, we got a thing. You want to write it or not? And you do it. And then so many times you're off to the next thing. Uh, in fact, Traveler's Guide and Book of Lists kind of wrote back to back. And so, you know, at some point you kind of like shut that part of your brain off for a minute and you get into the next next project. I will say now that I am like 12 books in, I do catch myself. And I, I do have to go back and I'm like, hey, did I just write the same thing again? Because, you know, like you're just not sure. You're like, man, I'm, I'm typing this and this sounds really familiar. Did I, <laughs> did I use that sentence before? You don't want to do that. Uh, like, well, I don't, can you plagiarize yourself? I don't know what the rules are for this, but I, I just, <laughs> probably not good. Um, but you're like, man, I swear I just wrote this. And then you like search the manuscript and you're like, it's nowhere in this book. And you realize, Oh, it was in some other project you did. And it's just been <laughs> in the back of your brain. Well, especially when you get books like your absolutely everything book, and then you end up with the absolutely everything expanded. Yeah. It- you know, the, 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 that silly star Wars universe just never stops. And, mm. uh, I, I guess that's the good news. That's the job security, hopefully for you know, people who work on star Wars as we get to keep coming back to it. Um, so, so then, um, when they announced the, uh, the high Republic stuff coming out, um, did that pop into your head as, oh, there's some more stuff I'm going to have to do at some point? <laughs> um, almost certainly. Yes, like it is going to end up in things I do. I think, I think later this year has a little bit of it. Um, yeah, like you do start taking a little bit different view of it. Um, I don't get caught up in any of the fan arguments or drama online. Um, right, you know, right. in, in some ways, like I never wanted to be that person who's like, this is just a job. Because it's not. Like, this is the coolest freaking job. Like, I get to work on Star Wars all the time in many different ways. Um, And you shouldn't really get jaded about that. But you do kind of have to approach it professionally. Um, And sometimes that does mean compartmentalizing things um, or just knowing that, like, you know, someday that may come down. And I should definitely keep keep up the speed on it. So um, behind me right now, I've got my bookshelves and I have um, every Star Wars story since 2014 sitting there, um, and I read all of them. Right, I I watch everything right? um, because again, like the the timelines on some of these are pretty tight, and you don't have always a ton of time to do research. And so, if you weren't keeping up with it in real time, there's no way you can go back. You know, like, or you at least have to know where to find stuff. Uh, like, hey, you know, I remember there's a Thrawn book about some blaster bolts in the wall that can't keep. And then know like how to search that and find that and go go dig that back up. Um, because yeah, my projects I've just never had the, the luxury of a bunch of time to burn it all from scratch. So 
it's it's a tough job, guys. I have to read all the Star Wars stuff. You know, I, <laughs> please send thoughts and prayers because this is tough. Um, you're, you're, but I'm doing just fine. Yeah, it's the rough life. <laughs> yeah. Now I, yeah. I was gonna say, looking at your list of books, um, especially from Amazon, I'm like, oh, I've got this one book, and I realize, no, I've got the first version of the book, <laughs> and that's the 3D owner's guide to the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. What what makes besides the radar dish? What makes yours different? Uh, the one that you worked with with Ryder compared to just Ryder's book? Yeah. So the second one actually adds um, both visual and text. That's pretty significant updates. Um, so from a text side, right, you have to account for basically you know what the second half of the Falcon's life. Right, like everything that comes after Return of the Jedi wasn't accounted for at the time because that didn't exist uh, in writer's book um, in the original version. So, you know, to go in and add Solo, pretty important <laughs> um, when you think about the Falcon's history. Uh, everything that happens in, in The Force Awakens and beyond, um, we needed to account for all of that. And then visually, a lot of stuff changed. Solo in particular did some stuff like. If you think about it, we never got to see the back half of the interior of the Falcon. And in Solo, they go back there. Yeah. You know, like, where, wait, where's that closet? Wait, where does he inject the coaxium? You know, all of that now has to be accounted for and, and wasn't, um, wasn't the same. Oh, right. Yeah. There's some tricky stuff. And, and all credit goes to uh, Chris Wright and Chris Trevis, who are the, the artists on, on both editions of that. Um, there's some real funny geometry about where – Ray gets in the escape pod in The Last Jedi and then goes and, and meets Kylo. Um, and, like, where she is, is was a real puzzle for them to, like, where does that go? Um, because at first glance, it looks like it's coming out of where the landing gear would come out. And, and that probably can't be true. So they really had the real work to get in there and figure out not just visually where is it, but then represent that in layers. Because it, it, for anybody listening who hasn't seen the the 3D owner's guide, it's um it's a really hefty book, and each layer that you peel away reveals another layer of the Falcon. So the, you know the first first page it's it's fully skinned and covered, and then as you work through it, you kind of work your way down to the bottom in 3D. Um, and so yeah, they're working. That, that's some 4D chess. You know, of art that they got to figure out. Um, and I'm glad I don't have to do that. I don't have those skills. <laughs> I, I just get to, like, write the blurb. Oh, yeah. Did you know Han keeps these little uh, escape pods? And, uh, you know, have some like, fun trivia about them. Very cool. Um, now, you also worked on uh, one or two visual guides? Uh, let's see, what did I do? So I did the visual encyclopedia, which is right. uh, a little bit unique. Um, it, it's sort of a all written you know, in universe and covers so many topics that are, uh, I get things that you never think you, you write about. Um, that one also has a whole spread on luggage. Maybe I have a theme here. I just write, like writing about Star Wars luggage. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but like taking a bunch of stuff and putting them in one place. And the taxonomy of that book is is really what sets it apart. Like on on one spread, you get all the musical instruments. So if, if you want to know what you know, musical instruments look like in Star Wars, there they are. Uh, I think we've got three spreads on blasters alone. That's not counting other weapons. Um, oh wow! Which that one, talk about something hard. Um, one of my my most trying moments on that project was 
I got the, um, on that project, we, we were all given um, usually the layout already and all the text was placeholder. And so we were writing all the like captions and call outs and, and text for that. And just kind of like filling in the gaps and, and you kind of knew what you were writing. But you could see the images in those cases. Uh, and I got the blaster spreads and someone had, thinking that it would make the spread look more uniform, um, made sure all the blasters were pointed one direction. But in many cases that meant they were, you know, modifying the image to flip it um, this horizontally. And if you know anything about Star Wars design, it's that everything in Star Wars is asymmetrical. And if you flip it, the image, it's going to look funky. And this happens the most with R2-D2. Uh, you'll, you'll occasionally right. see pictures of R2-D2 and he looks kind of wonky. And it's because they flipped him and now his like face is reversed. You know, and like the little hollow projectors on the wrong side and his eyes the wrong direction. And it just looks weird. Well, you also can't flip blasters like that. And so they didn't know what they had flipped and not flipped. And so I had to basically go through like kind of by memory and be like, you flipped this one, you flipped this one. This is wrong. You've got to go back and change them all because if not, they look weird. You know, their, their parts and pieces are on the wrong side. And it's a little detail that, I don't know, maybe only a few you know, crazy people like me would recognize. But I suspect there's more than a few people who would have seen that and, and realized it wasn't right. And that level of accuracy and authenticity is kind of what you're always striving for as much as you can. So you make the changes, but that was that was tough. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds like it would give you a headache. Now you you also uh, were working in conjunction with Trisha Barr and Adam Bray on that too, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. So um, you know, on, on most of my books, I have have co-authors. Adam and I have worked on a number of projects together. Um, um, trying to think of, yeah. They, you know, a lot of these projects, they're, they're pulling in multiple authors. And it's the same sort of pool of people that we get to work with at various times. But um, is it actually it's Traveler's Guide and Book of List were kind of unique in that there were no co-authors. Because uh, the vast majority of the time, that we're, we're dividing and conquering. Like, in part, again, due to timelines. <laughs> like, you know, we, we just don't have that much time. If one person had a ride ball, it would be pretty tough. Um, it was it was fun to on these books to be able to kind of have that single voice. Uh, now, if anything wrong, it's my fault. So now you know where to send an email. Uh, <laughs> made a mistake, but um, it was good to know every piece and sort of be also be responsible for that. Because uh, on group projects, um, you know, I may not talk to you know, Adam or Tricia. Uh, you know, really throughout the whole development. I think people are surprised by that. Um, it really is a divide and conquer thing. We all take our individual sections or our, our pages and, and we go do them. And it's really up to the editors, um, either the editors of the publisher we're working with, the editors of Lucasfilm, um, to help sort it out and make sure there's no inconsistencies. Or, or duplication is usually what happens most. Occasionally I'll get a note back and they're like, hey, 
you wrote about this, but it's also been covered some other place. And well, we like their version better, so you need to find something else to write about. Uh, so that, that'll happen occasionally too. Well, when you have a group of authors together, um, how do they decide who gets what part of the book to do? Or do each you just have your own specialty? Like someone knows ships, someone knows aliens, someone knows. Yeah, it's a little bit of a mix. Occasionally, you get to like raise your hand and say, "Hey, I like this sort of thing more." Or like Adam was always really a specialist in rebels. In a way, like, I was like, oh, I was happy to always give Adam Bray everything about Rebels if, if he could take it. Um, but it didn't always work out that way. Like in the uh, new edition of Ultimate Star Wars, I think I ended up taking a lot of the Rebels content. It just was like, you know, you're, you're, you get called up and you, you do whatever job needs to be done. Um, but we do have some specialties. Like my specialty tends to be droids and technology. I, I like writing about that kind of stuff. So. Um, at the beginning, when the editor says, hey, have you got anything you, know, you would particularly want to do, usually they say no promises, but let me know. Uh, I'll usually speak up for that. Um, and then I, I do always try to put, put a good word in for video games um, and try to sneak in some of that as well. Speaking of droids, since you said that, that tends to be your expertise and your, your favorite thing. Favorite astromech style um okay so well i'm about to get real nerdy uh, apologize for the soapbox <laughs> the um the styles that you know i grew up with right the r2 the r3 droid the r4 droid all of that um those aren't really a thing and if you look very closely at any any stories that you know like think about the clone wars right those droids never followed that system uh if you look at like what episode two and three have a ton of additional droids that aren't R2-D2, and they they didn't follow that either. And occasionally there were these attempts to, like, retcon that. Well, R4-G9 had to replace their their dome, and now that's why they don't look like an R4 dome. Well, no, the the better solution for that is just toss whatever got written in probably an RPG guide, right? Almost everything uh, from the old lore tends to come back to that. Uh, And... And say that's not really how it works. Uh, that said, I do like that R2 style dome. I, uh, before I was writing books, I actually had built two life size astromechs myself, um, and they were they were R2 uh, sort of dome shape. Um, now that said, that's how the galaxy works now. But man, sometimes it would be convenient just to have some some easy way of calling out the different head shapes. I dealt with that somewhat <laughs> recently. Like, well, I can't call it an R four, but I don't know. It's kind of shaped like a lampshade, but I can't really say that. Like, so you do you do sort of stuff around it a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's my. Jeez, you, that was more than you bargained for. No. Yeah, See, but you also I, got a ticket. I love Astromex. And, and to me, you know, it, it was frustrating. Like, oh, Obi-Wan is an R, he has an R4 unit in Attack of the Clones, but it's a it's an R2 dome. Yeah. And, and Windu supposedly has a an R3, but it's not a clear dome. It's a solid dome. And okay. and like, It makes your head hurt thinking about it too yeah, hard if and you're the, trying to reconcile that. And so many times the like the best answer is just the obvious one, and the obvious one is that's just not how it works. And especially with the Clone Wars, by the time we got into like deep seasons of the Clone Wars, and so many droids got yep. and you realize why they were doing it. Why do all the droids have like these weird, you know, first couple of letters? It's because in the script you need an easy like character name, right? So like BT is much easier than saying R three. No, not you, the green one. You know, like it's just yeah, you you just have to separate. Um, 
you know. Right. Yeah. It's and, just and the that, reality of telling a story. And, and I noticed yeah. that too, that some of them, oh, here's an, here's an R2 unit, but R2 is the second half of the name, not the first half. And then they come back and go, well, it's the owner decided to take it from the serial number and depending on where it is, the serial number, there there's two or three digits before the droid model and two or three digits after the droid model. So you could go either way with it. Like, okay. But yeah. uh, I think dome style for me, I like the R4s. Um, yeah. And now we, we see that quite a bit in, in the films, but I think it was in, in rebels when we see the R4s used uh, the Imperial R4s used as uh, like a press droid communications yeah. droid. Yeah. Um, that I really kind of fell in love with the with the R four heads the most. Um, well, those paint schemes in, in the show, yeah. are great. and it's very convenient that they're there, so the chopper can then be in disguise, of course. So great, great use of yeah. the story for that. But yeah, those paint schemes are, are fantastic. But when when Disney started doing the build a droids at at the parks, it's like okay, I I can have an R seven, I can have an an R six, I can have an R five, an R four, an R three, an R two. Um, I can have an R8, which I don't. I think I've only seen R8 heads. Uh, R8 heads, the one that almost looks like a a British military helmet with a lip. I don't remember. See, I used to have, be able to identify. <laughs> R2 See, is, is R2 is a solid head. R3 is a <laughs> clear head. R4 is the large lampshade. R5 is the small lampshade. And there's a salad bowl. <laughs> Type it, it, it's uh I, I'm looking at I've got four build a droids here I'm trying to figure out which one's which okay I have, that's an R two that's an R four that's an R four the the one that I don't have labeled yet I don't remember which one it is and, and the other fun part is too an R seven also has a different body design um again like there's some stuff that yeah yeah kind of comes from the old world and uh, if you like it great like it's still there. Um, well, there's one thing, I said there's one thing about that that I learned that I figured out a long time ago that um, the whole two-digit beginning of the name can't work because you got to think you're in a galaxy of billions of planets and probably billions of droids. You need more than four digits for a, for a serial number. Yeah, so you're gonna get yeah. really <laughs> Well, it's it's like my my daughter has. Uh, you know, when we went to Galaxy's Edge, she built a ball unit. Uh, it's a almost a true BB-8 model, uh, but in blue or not blue, purple. Mm-hmm. Well, its nickname is Grape or Z3 because she named it BBZ3. So we either call it Z3 or Grape because of that. Because uh, it's it's the white and white and purple white body with purple accent. And and then the purple head. Uh, she's named it Grape. And it's like, okay, this is how people came up with droid nicknames. They, they found that one personality or that one character trait of the droid and named it as such. Yeah. And honestly, the character, that, that like, it's so much more important than the technical details um, in the stories. And even, like, in, in the Traveler's Guidebook, I've heard people say, like, oh, is this just going to sell me the merchandise? Well, no, I don't talk about the merchandise. Some of the merchandise wasn't even created yet. Like, no, I like I don't sit there and go into every like model of of thing you can buy. Um, instead, we focus on like the character of Mubo who runs the droid shop and why does his shop look like that and and who are these sort like what are these droids that are around him in the room the the more like static decorations. Um, that's what we focus on, and much more than like the nitty gritty detail of. You know which parts fit together and that kind of thing. Um, right. So we, we really like again we save that experience and because like, that's special, right? Going and building that droid should have a little bit of mystery and magic to it. 
Um, And the lightsaber, same deal. Um, The character who wrote the the, fake character, who wrote the Traveler's Guide, um, doesn't make it past the lobby of of Sabi's. So that character doesn't know what's going on and why these scrap dealers um, kind of are, are going into this mysterious back room and coming out with these strange devices that you know you and I know are lightsabers, um, because that experience should be special. And that's yeah. a guidebook, both in universe for lore reasons. It doesn't make sense that it would go into all of that, and just for like you as a guest, we need to save that. I I, I think that's one of the things I find uh, intriguing as well is the the story at Batu is um everything all the stories from the prequels and the original trilogy is to them considered like fables or or myth or or or, or stories they're they're tales that oh I heard about that except Chewbacca's there and oh that happened with well, I kind of heard about that but you know I still don't know a lot about it type type yeah. deal you know when it comes to the Falcon so we use that in the book a lot especially because not just as like a hand wave, you know, because we don't want to talk about something, but because in a lot of cases, characters in that world have different points of view. And so like one character and you as a guest might have a different view about the first order than somebody else, or you might have a different stance on the resistance than somebody else. And so we use that, like, you know, locals say blah, 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 but others have reported something else, you know, and and we use that to like preserve that sense of like neutrality. Because it is part of the experience that you're going to go there and, you know, things are true from a certain point of view. That's a very Star Wars way of approaching things. <laughs> um, and we try to preserve that as well. Um, you know, why, why would someone support the First Order? Why would someone support the Resistance? And let you kind of figure out where you come down without taking too hard a stance. Um, for, you know, because it is written by a character. Right. Uh, you guys got any final thoughts for Cole or final questions? Mm-hmm. No, I think I'm all set. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Here. This was all. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You reserve the right to request your presence again. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Uh, happy to do it. I mean, uh, again, there's a lot worse things to do with our time than talk about Star Wars. So. Yeah, uh, happy to do it anytime. Now the books come out. Uh, both of them come out June twenty third. If yeah, I'm that's correct, right, June twenty third. So, uh, and you know, kind of wherever books are sold. If you have a, a local bookstore there that you, you like to shop at, um, you can get it there. Request it from them. Of course, you can find it online retailers as well. Um, I believe you. I believe you could pre-order on Amazon as well. That's right. Yeah. So pre-orders are, are live kind of everywhere. Um, so you can do that at your local stores. You can do that online. And there's a reason why everybody always talks about pre-orders. They matter a lot. Um, they, they really go a long way into helping the book and helping get the word out about the book and making sure, um, and not just my book, any, any book you want to support, uh, pre-orders go a long way of helping um, everybody know that you're excited about it. So if you can, pre-orders always appreciate it. But tonight we're going to say go pre-order The Traveler's Guide to Batu. I know it's the, sh- the short version of the name because it is so long. And the book list, go pre-order those now at Amazon or your favorite bookstore. Um, and Cole, we definitely want to bring you back on so we can talk about your time with EA Games and your Star Wars uh, adventures there. And hopefully when you move down here, we'll have to get together and meet up sometime. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Um, so, now, if I tell you too much, they, they will kill me. Uh, but uh, always happy to, <laughs> to talk Star Wars. 
Awesome. We're we're willing to take that risk. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, we, what a bunch of heroes. We, <laughs> we, we, we dodge, we, we've been dodging the first order for quite some time. So. Uh huh. I'm gonna fall into uh, the rancor pit right now as soon as I hang up this call. Um, <laughs> yep. Another Wilhelm scream for the book list <laughs> on Wookie Radio. Cole Horton. <laughs> um, where can people find you online? Uh, it's easy. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Cole Horton. That's just that easy. Awesome. And on that note, there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up. No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of the SAR-2 unit. We don't need to see his identification.